Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to Your Booked. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. Now, at the moment, I am very excited. If you're listening to this on Monday, I am just about to head off to Suniva Fushi for the LJF Arts Festival. Over on Instagram, at the Daisy B, I'll be bringing you exciting content and chatting to guests with speakers at the festival, including Mary Beard, Christina Lamb and GBC Pierre. Also, keep your ears open for some exciting episodes recorded live at the festival. On Sunday the 11th of June, I will be at the first ever Queen's Reading Room Festival at Hampton Court Palace. Tickets are available now. Come and see Ostentatious, Kate Moss and Dame Louie Dench. If you can't make it, I'll be behind the scenes bringing you lots of exciting news and interviews on Instagram. And don't forget that if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, you can enter our competition. Pre-order my new novel Limelight in hardback from bookshop.org and you'll automatically be entered into a prize draw. Limelight is a story of sisterhood, sexuality and self-esteem. Eva Rice says it's fearless and ferocious and tender all at once. A triumph. Lindsay Kelk says, when I read Daisy Buchanan, I feel seen. Now, on to today's guest. It's Caleb Azuma Nelson. Following Caleb's smash-hit, Costa-winning debut, Open Water, he's just published his second novel, Small Worlds, set in London and Ghana, about fathers, sons and music. We talked about Toni Morrison, former podcast guest Mallory Blackman, poetry, writing routines and the giddy thrill of a scholastic book fair. Caleb, I'd like to start by asking you about your early relationship with reading and the first books that you remember choosing kind of on your own as an independent reader? Oh, I think I, as a, as a young person, I was completely obsessed with books. My mum was a really big reader and so I really followed in her steps and she really enabled me to do that. She was just kind of like, chev- like kind of ferry me to bookshops and libraries on the weekends and um, I remember times that like the new like new books would come out and I'd be like, mum, you have to like go and get those, those books. But I think the, the first book that I remember really having like a, a big impact on me was Noughts and Crosses by Mallory Blackman. Like I remember the Scholastic Book Fair had come to my school and seeing that novel on, on one of the shelves and, um, and picking it up and just thinking I hadn't read anything like that. I could really, 
Um, I could really see myself in the text in a big way. Like, I would have been eight or nine years old. And to have that at such a young age felt very, like, really important. Yeah, because I think that's the kind of age when, you know, I think now when someone sort of says, you know, like, someone's eight or nine, I think that's really young. But you are definitely old enough to start thinking independently and start grasping things and start feeling like things belong to you. Yeah, in such a big way. Uh, We interviewed Mallory Blackman (laughs) on the podcast and it was just, it was so emotional, probably one of the most emotional interviews I've ever done because as you say, those scholastic book fairs, it's so visceral. Mm -hmm. That was so exciting. And I still remember like the weird sort of the shiny, the big silver cases and seeing all the books being unloaded. And just the idea that you could sort of, all these magic things being brought into the school yeah yeah for sure it was just this you knew you knew the time it was coming in and like you immediately were like trying to work out how many books you could get out of your parents um the number of times I kind of come with a stack and my mum was like what (laughs) (laughs) but it does sound like your mum was on board like this was the family yeah yeah for sure for sure it would um that kind of book fair situation coupled with the fact that my school had a really had a really lovely library that was set up when I was seven or eight that was just um yeah just gave me access to a lot more books than perhaps generally I would have at that age and um also just having a library card which is is just an invaluable thing to have at that age and to be able to convince your parents that Saturdays and Sundays are best spent at the library as opposed to anywhere else is yeah I'm grateful that they were able to to kind of provide that. It's amazing. It's like having a passport, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You can go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, what do you remember being in the library? What was kind of, what would draw you to a book when you pulled it off the shelf? I was actually really intrigued in what a what a blurb was saying, but also author photos, which was so intriguing to me. Like this notion that like someone had, I don't know, I didn't have the language to articulate at that age, but this notion that someone was presenting a version of themselves um, in this image that actually probably would be presented through the work as well. Um, and I'd always note that like very few authors were smiling in their photos and I'd always, oh, very, very few. And I always used to think like, why is this like, why are you not smiling? What's the deal? Um, because I think when, you know, as I was, as I was growing and I was getting to like 10, 11, 12, I'd sort of worked my way through a lot of the a lot of the um, the kind of like young people section and was making my way towards the adult section and actually on like a slight tangent when um, I remember being about 10 or so, there was a newspaper and I can never remember which one it was, but they ran this promotion where you would get a token um, each week and then you could take that token to a WX Smith and you'd get a Penguin Classic. And so like from like 10 onwards, I just, I was every week I would try and read one of those Penguin Classics, which was like a really wonderful introduction. Um, and when that promotion ran out, then I kind of looked towards the library to fill fill that space in. Yeah, which was actually actually thinking about it. Like I haven't, I haven't thought about that that sort of space to be, to have access to that in, in such a long time. Oh, wow, because those books are beautiful. And I think as adults, we can really appreciate them as kind of design classics. Yeah. But, you know, when you're 10 and so many of the books that you've, you know, being given and the books you're told to be drawn yeah. to are definitely designed to really attract your attention. Yeah. So I think those Penguin Classics felt really sophisticated. Can you remember the titles that were in the promotion that you were reading? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, my the one that really stayed with me was A Room of a View, which I think actually is one of my favourite novels 
And I, I remember reading it at that age and have not having an exact understanding of, of what was going, but then reading it again when I was 18. And actually, I read it again last year. And I, I think rereading is such a beautiful thing because you're never going to see everything on the first go, on the first instance. But also there's, a, there's an implication or suggestion when you reread that you, of the shifts in you as a person um and and how you've grown since that time and so obviously a vast change between 10 and 18 but actually between 18 and 28 um such a such a big shift in an understanding and the ways in which I can like articulate how I feel about the world and also how I feel about the text and in this specific instance how I feel about love and it's various expressions you know so how has that story changed for you because um, I can imagine that sort of when you're at there are some the subtleties of yeah. it and lots just things being unsaid yes. and people pretending they're not feeling how you're feeling <laughs> and I remember I didn't read um, Room with a View when I was eight but definitely reading things and thinking well why why <laughs> don't they just it? tell them just say it <laughs> um it's a I've always I've I've always thought actually that that novel is a very British sort of novel in which there is this understanding that all these feelings and emotions that are un- under the surface, but there's not quite the mode of expression for it to make its way out into the open, whether that's because there's a lack of language or there's a fear that those feelings might not be reciprocated or just that the feelings feel like too big and too vast and to like bring them out of yourself, um, that you don't quite know what will happen if they are out in the open. And I I think so much of, so much of what, Forza does so beautifully and what I really appreciate is this sense of trying to trying to connect trying to like afford people their own separate intimacies but also trying to find ways in which to share those intimacies um and he does like just everything is just so under the surface and everything is speaking without it necessarily speaking and more often than not people's bodies and their spirits are speaking for them in this way and in that way like the text is also doing that and it it creates this very almost um like bordering on like divine experience in which you're you're reading as you're reading a narrative but you're also like experiencing something that's like below it but simultaneously above it as well it's like a so much of those emotions in the novel are so heightened you just it almost feels like the the narrative is going to snap at some point you know. I love that feeling when everything's between the lines mm. and it's a sort of, you know, ineffable, swirling sense of, yeah, as you say, that th- something that's almost too too divine mm. and too big for words, but that's being evoked and conjured with yeah. words. I kind of, I love that about your novel, Open Water, as well, that that's this enormous, the force of feeling and the passion, but also people who, who love each other and understand each other better than anyone else, still struggle to get it right and struggle to make it clear. Yeah, yeah. So much of what I'm trying to do, I think, when I'm writing, spe- specifically in that instance, but in general, I think is trying to bridge this gap between emotion and expression, because I think there's always going to be some sort of space between what you feel and what you're able to say. Um, but in the instance of these two characters, it's just like what they what they feel is just so much bigger than they could ever say. They're actually like... The ways in which they are around each other speak more than what than how they might express it. But sometimes you also need to be able to say, "This is how I feel," despite the fact that it's terrifying. <laughs>
I'd love to hear about other the love stories or novels where there are romances or relationships that, that sort of got under your skin and really fascinated you, whether that's like the force of passion mm-hmm. or the, the miscommunication and the withholding. I think recently I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about the various iterations of love, both in like a romantic setting, but also in like platonic settings. Um, I don't know if you've read Memorial by, by uh, Brian Washington. Uh, I haven't yet. That is a it's a really special novel. Um, in his own words, he describes it as a a kind of lowercase L love story, and it's a novel that's made up of these very these like kind of mundanities and small everyday moments that really just are like the fab like make up the fabric of our lives and. I don't know, it's like for me it's such a it's the ways in which it shows how love is not necessarily this thing that's like constantly vast but actually is made up of these these small like pieces um that come together and and actually comprise of something that can surprise and can be a joy but can also be quite painful sometimes. Um was such a be- it's it's really, really beautiful in, in the in its slowness and its pace and in the way that it makes space not just for the love to unfold, but also for, I think, the novels that I love as a whole in general are novels in which, like, you find space for yourself as a reader to really feel mm. those things too, you know? Uh, now I definitely <laughs> want to read Memorial. It's one of the, you know, and you're like, I know I will love it. I know I, I've just, just started um, Hot Milk by Deborah oh, Levy, yeah. which I think people have been recommending to me for about 10 yeah. years. <laughs> like, yes, I know I will love it. I just need to get my make my way through the pile um but it made me think as well about um elizabeth strout and her love stories which to me feel in the best kind of way quite fragmentary yeah that it's about acts of love and acts of service and things being the way we show love through our behavior and it's it's small and it's these repeated actions and it's they're not always interpreted as love by the people who who benefit from them and it's the 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 things that hold you together and love is an individual force but also something within a community it is i think i read a not it wasn't a novel but a book of poetry last year called well i've read it a few times now called homie by denise smith um and they are a poet based out in america and it was it was just a collection that really was an ode to the love that shared within a community between friends just like sort of like platonic love that borders that almost borders on romantic that actually in a sense is is romantic um and i've been thinking so much about the ways in which we are able to show each other that we love each other in an everyday way and in these ways that are so that are small but really have big implications you know i think it's such a beautiful thing like you mentioned like to be able to render those those like everyday things like some i don't know something as small as being like brought a coffee like that's such a small act but it's actually like a really beautiful thing in the right moment could be something that like transforms a person's day or a feeling you know um i'm so i'm so intrigued in the ways that people's feelings manifest um and the ways in which people are drawn to each other because of those small things because of those actions and i think that sometimes the grand gestures and the things feel very very cinematic or feel like you know the end of the story Mm -hmm. Quite often, 
those gestures, they're an idea, they're the person doing it at the the recipient. They're kind of expressing themselves and making it more about Mm -hmm. themselves, but it's the tiny, tiny acts where someone has looked at the person they love and said, what do you need right now? What can I do for you right now? And it's a a much more intimate communication, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That that kind of, I think you've hit it, that that notion of like, what do you need? What do you require in this moment? Um, Sometimes we also can't articulate that. We don't quite know what we need, but also, but we know that we probably need some form of closeness, you know? That's so true. And yeah, to have someone who knows what you need when you can't yeah. say it is rare and precious. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, on that theme, and I really want to come back and talk about poetry as mm. well and to hear about the poetry you read. But um, I was thinking about books and books you have shared with someone and been able to look and say, I think this is the book you need right yeah. now. And also the times when that's happened to you and the books people have shared with you. I'm looking I'm looking at my bookcase for the first at first port of call. I love sharing books by James Baldwin. Um Bill Street if Bill Street could talk is one of my favourite novels. Um and it's a big inspiration of mine. James Baldwin is a big inspiration of mine, full stop. There is something that I love about his way of storytelling that is simultaneously, like, grand and feels like he's almost like this... Because he was previously a, a preacher that and that is, like, standing on this pulpit, but it's also so welcoming, it's so warm, it's so inviting, it's so intimate. Um, and in this instance, actually, being able to not only render this like young couple's love which is like in is kind of taking place in the midst of tragedy um but also render their families and the communities around them it's a novel which feels to me as like as small as it is as it is enormous you know um that's a really special novel and then jazz by tony morrison um which I think is, I think Jazz by Tony Morrison might be my favourite novel, actually. Um, it is, I think wherever you start with Tony Morrison, you're probably going to be like astounded in some way, whether it's by the language or whether it's by the breadth of um, of her narratives or just like the kind, the ways in which you're just so like immediately drawn in like she writes the best first lines of like just anyone full stuff um but jazz for me is a very is a really like special novel because of not just because of the music that's contained in it and the love that I have for music and the ways it works its way into my writing but um also the sense of like the sense of a narrative being able to meander and wander and return back to its original through line and then disappear again. Like, I think there's so much beauty in being able to be surprised. And I, I think that novel does it so well. And I think that's such a gift for writers and readers, mm-hmm. isn't it? When sometimes I read books that feel very taut and very slick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a, an element of surprise mm-hmm. and you think, you know, wow, you know, I didn't see that coming <laughs> out. But I've got a lot more time for the stories that do meander because you feel as though you and the author, you're side by yes. side and it's it's communion yeah. and you're wandering together and you feel like they trust yeah. you and you trust yeah. them and no one's going to do any sudden rug pulls or it's almost like you're you're jamming together you're not having something presented to you and you're expected to be dazzled and I think that goes back to what you were saying about those the gaps and the spaces that we get to fall between and kind of embroider these stories with our own emotions absolutely absolutely as you're speaking I've also just thought of one more novel um Intimacies 
by Katie Kitamura, which I read not last year, the year before, while I was on holiday in the space of six hours, I sat by the pool and ignored everybody and was just like kind of nose to the page. And I have, it's a short novel, it's about 180 pages. And I would go so far as to describe it as the perfect novel. It is just like, it's this novel about a about a translator who works at The Hague. But really it's this novel about the intimacies that we share um, and how those things, how those things are able to like bridge connections with each other um, or break connections with each other. And the rhythm of the novel is so, it's so inviting and really is that thing where each sentence has a space for you to present and place yourself within it. Um, and I I think I've gifted it to 10 or so people. Like, honestly, if you if you get a book from me, it's probably intimacy. <laughs> well, I will, I'm going to go and buy my own copy because I don't know that book, but it sounds beautiful. Even the title, yeah. that's yeah. a perfect title. That's like, yes, <laughs> I will read that. Bring it to me. But that's such an interesting area as well. I think all the time, and admittedly, there are very few novels that I've read being translated and the obvious ones I can think of are the obvious authors are um, Ferrante and Murakami mm-hmm. and a book by an Italian writer called I think she's called Gloria Petrio, and the book's called The Girl Returned mm-hmm. and it's translated by Anne Goldstein who is uh, Ferrante's translator mm-hmm. and I don't really speak any other languages <laughs> at all and I'm so interested in how when you translate a novel the the sense of something how how do you capture the feeling and how because I think so many of us have read, you know, certainly Ferrante in, in translation. Yes. And those books are so mesmeric yes. and they've got this weird, compelling core. And the language is so beautiful, but there's more, there's nothing flat about it either. They're alive and they're quite violent. And to do that, to be able to have the skill to actually translate and then to the sense translation yeah. there, it's that feels like magic to me. I think whenever I speak to one of my translators because I feel really I feel really lucky that um that Open Water and Small Woods have been translated um in quite a few languages but also in a very careful and considerate way it feels like each time that it feels like each translator is trying to hone in on the essence of the novel on the feelings of the specific rhythms and then find a way to almost like dismantle what's already there and then reassemble it in a way that suits whatever language they, they're, they're trying to write in. Um, and that for me feels really beautiful. It's almost like there's, a, there's another draft of the novel that exists somewhere that actually I'm kind of locked out from. Um, I can only give you so much there. But there's a sense of trust that takes place in that exchange where it's like, actually, no, like, I I understand that this is the feeling I was trying to communicate and I trust you to then take your language and and pull those feelings out into the world as well. I wonder if it's in a way almost like making music and having someone do a cover version of your song in a way you could never yeah. do. But obviously with music, I think we can respond to all, all kinds of music, but it's much harder, say, when you... Um, it's harder to read in German. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, it's funny, I've, whenever I've done um, readings abroad, like I was, I was in Rotterdam actually over the weekend, um, and it didn't happen this time, but previously when I've been in, especially German-speaking countries, they'll, I will do a reading and then there'll be a reading of 
the same or a different text in in German, and I'm always I can like recognize specific almost turns of phrases, but the rhythm is completely different. It's just it's it's not like it's devoid of the of the rhythm, but it has to take on something different because of the language shift. And I'm I'm sat there like really like leaning forward. That's it must be that part, right? And I'm I never get it right. Oh really? <laughs> no, no, I never get it right. <laughs> I love the idea, though, if you could kind of surprised by your own work, be like, oh, yeah, like, what was this? <laughs> it makes me think, of, I think this comes up in, uh, have you read uh, Less by Andrew Sean Greer? I haven't, no. It's a lovely book about writing and being mm. a writer and the highs mm. and lows that come with that. And I think that authors kind of, kind of especially enjoy it, but about the sort yeah. of the, the book tours and the strangeness of yeah. being home and away and finding yeah. things that you recognize and just that feeling I think of finally thinking you've made sense of the world that you're in and you've figured out your own universe and then a bottom falls away or something <laughs> shifts and you're like no I have no idea yeah I feel like when I don't know how you feel about this but I feel like I've been writing full-time um since 2019 and Honestly, every day still feels like a surprise. It still feels like something is going to emerge. And I'm like, I feel like I'm learning, I'm still learning how to do this thing that somehow is both a, is both like a a personal practice, but it's also a job. Um, it's a strange space to, to occupy, you know? Also, I don't know if you felt like this after writing Open Water, when you came to write Small Worlds, Mm-hmm. Did you think, oh, I have written a novel, I've done this very complicated and, yeah. you know, I think technically impressive thing. The way I felt when I wrote my second novel, it's like, well, before I wrote my first novel, I didn't think I could write a novel and I did it. So how hard can it be? And it turns out still hard, harder in some ways. <laughs> I think it's funny because I, it's almost like I had to forget that I'd written a novel before. I had to convince myself that um, the thing that is here is a blank page. That's really what the the main the main like difficulty here is because I think once as soon as I let in that that idea that there was another thing that had come before it, then becomes about like the building of the previous one. And um, while I think that is actually quite healthy to think about how you you sort of like build upon what you've what you've done before, I I wonder. I didn't want it to feel like it was like the second novel was being overshadowed in any way by the first or was being um, pushed along by the first. Like I wanted the two to be in conversation, but not feel like it was like they were they were joined up in a way. Actually, writing the second novel was really freeing um, because I had the space to try again. I had the space to be able to be like, you know, let's let's give this this novel thing a go once more. Um, and try and work out a way to push myself within my craft and to like break some of my writing tendencies and to actually really ask myself in a way who I was at that specific moment as I was writing and what I wanted to communicate. I really, really love that because I think most writers, I don't know if you agree with this or if this resonates, Mm. if you're a person who has always been drawn to reading and writing and creative thoughts you've kind of you have been writing your or I felt I've been writing my first novel in my head probably in some ways since I was you know three or four or five yeah, since yeah, I was yes, doing yeah. the first scribbling yeah. you know, every 
sort of observation, everything that yeah. catches your eye that you think about, you want that there on the page. And then yeah. you come to the second one. So much of your past is already used up and you've really got to like be, well, who am I now? And what am I, yes. what am I presenting yes. now? Yeah. And yeah. I think you're right. I think the really brilliant and positive and inspiring way to <laughs> describe that state is to call it freeing. <laughs> and, um, yeah. I will say that because I am someone who, like Open Water, both Open Water and Small World started as a page of A5. That's like my starting point. Like I'll sit down and I will just have these notions of what I want to explore, what I might want to communicate. Um, and then everything starts building from from there. But I don't plan a huge amount. And so every day, like I write really early in the morning, I'm up at six and I'm writing by seven. And every day I would have this five minute panic where I'm faced with a black page and I, just, I don't know how to write. I've forgotten. I've just like, I, what is this? What's this thing? And it's almost like, I feel like if you think about writing too much, it falls apart. It, if it's like the, the notion of like trying to figure out a way to afford language to emotions like in my head, I just, what, what does that mean? But as soon as, as soon as I ease into it, it just, it begins to come. But there, there is always that, that little panic where like the, the real kind of terror is like, I've forgotten how to write. What is this? What's a sentence? How does this work? You know? Every day, every day I'm the same. And I wrote this morning. And again, I have to do it. If I don't do it as early as possible, I probably yeah. won't do it because there's too much other stuff coming yeah. into my head. And yeah. the other stuff, but, but what, what is it? What's going to, and then sometimes it's weird how my brain thinks as I write and I think I think better kind of on paper than I do like when someone says so so what's it about and you sort of freeze (laughs) (laughs) absolutely millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We'll be back with Caleb soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Slow Days Fast Company by Eve Babbitts, an essay collection that takes you straight to the Southern California of the 70s at its most glittering and sordid. It's about people, places and things, but it blurs the line between fact and fiction, its gonzo glamour and the book I come back to when I want to escape to another era and another world. Slow Days Fast Company by Eve Babbitts is published by NYRB Classics and it's out now. Now back to Caleb. 
<laughs> Are there any books about writing or things that other writers have written about writing that you have connected with or found useful? There's an essay collection, The Source of Self-Regard by Tony Rosset, um, that has, it's not explicitly about writing, but has a lot about her writing and artistic practice um, and the ways in which you make space for yourself as a writer, but also as a person, because I think so much of writing is these, it's almost like these portraits of who you are at that, at that time, at that moment. It's like, it's like, like, even for however long it takes, it's like a flash of that moment. And that's you, right? Um, regardless of whether it's fiction or non-fiction or poetry, it's like something that is coursing through you that you're pulling out of yourself in those moments. And she really speaks to that. She speaks to this notion of like how, how do you make space for you to be your most honest self in, in these in in those times in which you're in which you're trying to express yourself? And I I really hold on to that. That's the it's the essay collection I find myself like just pulling off the shelf every so often and and sitting down to read. I think the notion of like making space or entering a separate space when I in a position of luxury where it is like writing is the main thing that I do, I'm always having to ask myself, like, how do I get there? How do I get to the place where it's actually like, this is, these are the sentences I want to be writing, or this is the work I want to be making, you know? I've not read that, and I would love to read it. It's that I feel like if anyone is going to be, you know, wise, and tell us what we need to hear, it's Tony Morrison, always. of course. Is there anything in that book, look, I don't want to kind of say like, what are Tony Morrison's top tips? Because that sounds really reductive <laughs> and wrong. But any ideas or practices that she has inspired you to kind of to use every day or just to think about? Something that she alludes to, two things actually. So something that she speaks on, um, which I think is in her Nobel Prize winning speech, um, where she talks about the power of language and the ways in which we, the ways in which we have, we like owe so much to the ability to like afford language to the ineffable. Um, And this notion of trying, this notion of like understanding that as a writer and actually just as a person to live a life is to understand that you're probably never going to be able to say exactly what you mean but you can try and I think there's so much beauty in the trying there's so much beauty in the work it's the thing that really kind of gets me out of bed each day to know that like I can try again um feels really special um and then I think also she speaks about memory and writing into memory and I actually remember the first meeting the first time I met my agent, she told me something which I've never forgotten. I write in every one of my new notebooks, which is that writing is fictionalizing memory. And I think that's such a I think that's such a wonderful notion that like, you can that there are things that you as a person or maybe like your wider community could feel and that you could find a way to afford language to these like to these things that you're holding within yourself or these like things that are in an archive or or like a photograph or you know like to to things that have happened and you can find a way to like bring those into the present and actually into the future when a reader might meet those um I think those are yeah those are my kind of big big takeaways from 
from that collection. I really loved that. I mean, something I think about a lot is, yeah, one of my first ambitions was to to act and I I was never, ever good. I couldn't do it. I have no kind of physical control of myself. (laughs) I'm very clumsy and I have no depth perception. But that I think when writing we're acting because we're tra- we're thinking how does it feel and we're thinking about how we have felt and we're having this sort of empathetic imagination think well I, I've maybe I've not been in this specific situation but I can think how would this person feel what's yes. that gap between what someone might be showing on the outside and what yeah. they're desperate to convey and they can't quite convey and that and yeah and I love that because I think I will never ever do that as successfully as I want to do it. I'll never do it, you know, purely and clearly and well, but I can do it as clearly and well as I can manage. And maybe every day or year, that'll get a little bit closer to the thing. I will die trying. (laughs) Yeah, but simply, that is really, that's where we will probably die trying. But to try, I think, is is a beautiful thing. I wanted to go back to poetry, and I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear about the the first poetry you were drawn to. Because I'm very aware of the fact that I loved poetry so much at school and Mm -hmm. I don't read it nearly as often as as I wish I did. And whenever I do, I'm so glad that I'm there. I feel like the... I feel like, like you, it took me... I have this real appreciation and almost like quite a deep reverence for poetry in the ways in which poets employ brevity in a way that we just... I mean... 200 pages versus one is really is really the the notion um and how beautiful like the the rhythms and the turns of phrases and those like how much the the everyday moments actually become the centerpieces of 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 poetry um there was a book by kayo chingonyi called kumakanda that i read i feel like it came out i want to say it came out in 2018 um, maybe 2019. I going to say, just like pre-lockdown, we're like, it could have been 2018, it could have been 1995, that whole, <laughs> this nebulous swirling time, time. It's just a flat circle right now. I don't, I actually, even, I, I find myself more and more these days saying to people, what, it's Sunday today, right? Almost like trying to reaffirm myself because I have no idea. I just, I'm really... We're just moving through time and space <laughs> and you're trying to get through it. <laughs> but yeah, I remember reading this this poetry collection and I just, I remember exactly where I was and I am certain it was a Saturday. Um, and I was sat in my, in my mum's garden and it was early spring, but it was like quite a warm day. Um, t- actually kind of terrifyingly warm in a way it shouldn't have been that warm in, in March or March or April. Um, and the sun was shining and I sat outside on one of my mum's garden chairs and just like page by page read this poetry collection and felt myself, like felt something in me really being broken, open. I felt myself being, I felt the, langu- the language felt so familiar. Like, you know, like Kaya is writing about like a young black boy slash man's experience of, of growing up in different parts of the UK and even though some of those experiences weren't necessarily mine the language was the intimacies of, of it were the kind of this notion of like growing of coming of coming of age which I feel like just happens that I don't think it happens once in, in I think it happens again and again and again 
Um, and that for me was, was such a, was such a special notion. Like I just sat down and I tried to read poetry almost like I would listen to an album. So all like, you know, I would sit for an hour and read all the way through. And I remember like I got to the end and I just thought, I want to, like, I want to read this again. So I did. Um, and I honestly, I've got an, I've got an edition of that, which is like, it's the pages are actually falling out at this point because I've read it so many times. Um, but it's so precious to me. It's such a, I, yeah, like I, I think that notion of being, almost being like excavated by language um, is, is one of, I think it was the first instance that I really felt that with poetry. I love the idea of, think this is, this needs to be appreciated like an album that the mm-hmm. poet has deliberately chosen these things in this order. And the, the way a poem looks on a page, and again, it's that, the purest example, I think, of, space between words and space to fall into and I think that connects so well this idea of coming of age over and Mm. over again at different times Mm. it really it sort of throws into beautiful relief what you were saying about reading a room with a view at different times and and coming back and rereading and taking different things from the same book and seeing your your ghost selves and your past selves and maybe even your future selves yeah for sure I think there's like this um I think reading rereading offers up a sense of like these possibilities for yourself that what might not have been possible before might be with with this like new way of seeing the text and actually seeing yourself as well um it's such a it's such a beautiful way to be able to mark a a sense of growth in any direction um that you could revisit something that like actually is that you know is quite is certain actually you know that the se- the sentence isn't going to have changed between the time that <laughs> between this time and the last time that you have. Gosh, I would have not, I've never thought of this before, but I think that's why I reread because it's hugely comforting, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. hopeful because yes. you can see where you have been. Yeah. There's a sense yeah. that you could be going somewhere good and doing something more worth. I think that's why instinctively I think I reread when I'm feeling a bit doomy and pessimistic <laughs> and anxious about what might happen. I definitely get that from um, Anne Patchett's essays. She, yeah. reading her, makes me feel very excited about a future and yeah. ageing and hopefully becoming a little wiser and a little more graceful <laughs> even. <laughs> I've not read any of Anne Patchett's essays. I really love her writing. Are there any books coming out this year that you're excited about reading or anything you just finished that you've really loved? I just read a book called Land of Milk and Honey by a writer, C. Panzang. It's different and has just written this, like, incredibly... incredibly, like, sensual novel, I think is the way I've been describing it to people. Um, It's... It's such an it's such a beautiful like idea, the seed of it. It's about a time in which sometime in the very, very near future in which a big smog has has taken over the world and has destroyed the world's crops and the ability to grow food. Um and a group of very rich people decide that they are going to restart this process of of growing food, uh, both from the ground and, and living as well, in a tiny, a, a tiny like, mountain in Italy. And the protagonist of this novel is a, is a chef who talks her way into this mountain where she is going to, going to prepare the menus that, that are going to be taken for, forward into the future. And 
I just haven't read, you know, as I was writing, right as I was writing Small Worlds, like I think there was such a, for me, there was such a big focus on the food aspect and like trying to find ways to afford language to the ways that food makes us feel or the ways that food might be prepared. But I've never read anything, any anyone write about food like it's like Ooh. it's so it's so sensual it kind of borders on sexy like it's it's gorgeous it's really really special one but i also think there's there are these real i keep saying the word intimacies on this podcast but there are this like there's this closeness and, and an intimate nature of the writing that in the midst of this chaotic world that this this woman is living through she's able to find ways of being close to herself, but also to other people. Um, and I think there's nothing better than that, you know. I mean, that sounds brilliant, because anything that's sort of a bit dystopian, I don't yeah. know what, whenever I hear that word, there's something that makes it, oh, this is going to be cold. This is going <laughs> to yeah, be yeah. quite, this yeah. is going to feel like isolation. And then the yeah. book you just described doesn't sound isolating at Not all. At it all. sounds like it's all Not about all. connection, which yeah. brings us back to Forster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, really... Really, really something special. Really something special. I think up next I'm going to read Mame by Jessica George. Um, because I have had it on my bedside table for, for far too long. Like, I keep being like, I need to I need to get to this one. Because I, as a slightly biased, as a British Ghanaian, I'm always trying to find um, other British Ghanaians who are writing. Um, and it, yeah, just, I've read the first few pages, actually. And immediately I'm sold. I think I would probably do my yearly reread of, of Jazz by Tony Morrison. Excellent. And I also usually reread NW by Zadie Smith, which is one of my other favourite novels. Oh, I love that um, book. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing. I think, yeah, that's my, that's my core for this year and anything else would be, be a bit of a bonus. Because am I right, you talk about um, Zadie Smith in Open Water, which, <laughs> and I loved that, felt like such a kind of... And almost like the fourth wall coming down, yeah, like, yeah. you know, before, because I, I hadn't met you then when I read it, yeah. like you were stepping out and meeting me as a reader and saying, here we are, both yeah. fans of this other phenomenal <laughs> voice. And it felt like yeah. such a generous point of connection. I really loved it. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, I think I, I owe a lot of my, um, of the fact that I write what I write to to that novel specifically, but Zadie in general, I think. Yeah, she's someone as well who I think you're with her. You're not, you yeah. don't feel as though yeah. she's yeah. going to kind of suddenly Just... pull the cloak over your head and say, ta-da, I was the first all along. It's like, and I yeah. love that the most. And, oh gosh, is it cool? I want to say, is it swing time? The, swing time, yeah. About the, the dancers yeah. and that. Yes. And the way that ends. And yeah. I love the feeling that it was sort of, it was and wasn't an obvious end. And it, yeah. in the way yeah. that it, it felt very human and very yes. honest and kind yeah. of, slow that sometimes it's just it's not the there isn't a conclusion that you that you want or need and it's not neat no, no, it's no. just it it comes to a natural place a natural stop well I think the thing that that book does so well is that it doesn't actually stop and I think that's like so reflective of mm-hmm. the ways in which life really works for us it's like there's a there are checkpoints sure yeah. there are like pit stops but like, the thing is still going um yeah, I think she does that so well. I often think of that when um, we're teaching um, fiction mm-hmm. writing and that mm-hmm. sometimes I think there's the story doesn't end. You choose to leave it at a certain place, but it is continuing yeah. without you, yeah. hopefully yes. in your reader's head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are there any stories where you would love 
not necessarily a sort of a story style sequel, but mm-hmm. any novels where you feel that the the characters are still living and evolving when they've been taking up space in your head in a great way since you read the book. Last year I read Candy's Carty Rhythm's new novel People Person, which I don't know if you've read, is just like a lot of fun. I actually I remember this like two day window where I really was supposed to be working on my own novel and I just heavily procrastinated and read that one instead. But like it has just this like wonderful cast of characters who are all so complex and so warm and beautiful and fearful and shy and like just this huge range of like they're just also like beautifully human and um I think where the novel ends is it's kind of perfect but I always wondered and there's no pressure on Candice if she wants to write a sequel um but I've always wondered like what would happen to them in the in the outside world which I guess is the thing that you is the thing you kind of want you want the sense of like possibility that your readers are imagining how how much further this narrative could go than the final page. Queenie still lives in my head, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I hope to goodness that her sequel was a bit calmer <laughs> than the because that was, that was quite stressful for her in places. But, you know, I often yeah. think about her and I hope she's, she's doing okay and that, yeah. you know, things are... But I think that's the gift of that book as well, is that you do see her growing and evolving and shifting and you think, oh, she's in a position where she can navigate the world from a slightly mm-hmm. more secure mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. because of everything that we saw her learn and go through in the beginning. Yeah, it's one I think it's such an interesting it's also such an interesting space to think about like characters within novels and like how much we feel that they've shifted and changed mm. versus like actually how much might have and, and like what we bring to that space mm. as well. Because I think that there'll be um and that's not me disagreeing with you, but like I think there's definitely occasions where I've had different, almost like different like viewpoints on how a narrative has unfolded to a friend that has read the same novel. And that for me, that's also a really beautiful thing that like something I really, um, something I really made peace with very early on after I'd written Open Water was the fact that there were going to be like these two very separate versions of the novel. The one that I had chosen to write and that was, that I had gone through the process to write and I had written to satisfy or to try to satisfy certain notions, questions, feelings. Um, and then this other version that was going to be, was going to be a book that was going to become a new again and again, each time my book found a way into a new set of hands, that it was a, diff- it was a new thing. Um, and that each person who would find this book in their hands would experience it in a different way and would see things that perhaps I couldn't have even imagined. That's maybe one of my favourite things about writing, um, that there is, there's just like an infinite number of ways in which a narrative can be experienced. I love that. And I'm thinking now about how the the novel I read and the story I stays with me and those feelings are, you know, you, you gave that to me. It's an, a generous <laughs> and extraordinary gift. And I'm not sure I could explain that to you. And you might be like, no, what are we talking about? That makes no sense. <laughs> Has, has, has any reader told you anything that surprised you? Every day. I'm like, I honestly am. I mean, I'm still pretty surprised that anyone's read the book. That's like a very, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's such, that's still quite like a a wild notion. That yeah. People are like that holding this part of myself out in the world. Mm. Um, but I think like 
I think every time someone really like offers up their own vulnerability, I'm really surprised because like I think it took so much for me to enter that space to be able to like deliver that specific narrative and to really like open myself up and almost offer myself up on the page and that people for me like that people would reciprocate that energy that feeling that emotion is like it's always such a surprise but a really beautiful one I think when you tell a story if there isn't that element of vulnerability and and uncertainty then Mm -hmm. that is required to get that kind of raw response that you know we Mm -hmm. hope that people I think the experience of writing is unsettling and I think ideally the experience of reading should be too that they both leave us changed and that's that's why we read yeah um Caleb I could honestly just keep talking to you about reading and writing I've just I've loved our time together um very very sadly I know you've got things to do (laughs) you're a busy man and like please write some more (laughs) we we need those words very excited about them before we go are there any books that uh we haven't talked about that you would like to mention that have made an impact on your books that you just want more people to know about and read at the moment Victoria Adukwe Bully who wrote a really wonderful poetry collection, Quiet, that I think won the Rapid Folio. Uh, I've read some book. of her poems and they took my yeah. breath away. I think she's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah astounding is that is the word that I that comes to mind. Um, incredibly measured, inque- incredibly beautiful, and I think really sits in a space that explores the quieter moments of our lives. I'd, uh, yeah, that's one that I would recommend. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I've definitely been aware of her work and wanting to read more of her so that feels like a glorious sign of the universe that's who I should be reading next there we go Kayla thank you so much it's been an absolute joy thank you for coming on the podcast thank you for having me huge thanks to Caleb Small World is out now and published by Viking your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find all of the books that Caleb mentioned at acast.com booked and you can see a selection at bookshop.org. You can find us and follow us on social media at whybooked. Huge thanks to everyone who has given us a five-star review. And if you haven't done it yet, we'd really appreciate it, especially if you have been listening for a little while. It is the very best way to help people to discover the podcast and their new favourite book. I leave you with this from Tina Brown. Writing doesn't improve by not doing it. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.